All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The start of the show, Laura, I said that I am currently a no on sports gambling in Minnesota. I heard you, yes. And the texts uh, were really interesting. Okay. I Honestly, I thought I'd get more pushback because the polling on this shows that Minnesotans want. Yeah. We, we want all the things. Yes. And when other states have it, I get it, right? You're right. like, are we uh, leaving money on the table? Yes. Mm-hmm. How much? Questionable, as always. Sure. Right? Like, we'll see with marijuana. There was news today about marijuana dispensaries in the state, right? Yes. Like, the number, there like was sort of an estimate. 380 of them or something yeah. like that, yeah, Which will be necessary. It's probably right. Mm-hmm. When I first heard that number, I was like, holy moly. Yeah, that's a lot. But, like, how many gas stations do we have? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not not that this is the equivalent, but you're like, yeah, how many coffee? Like, right, or liquor sure. stores or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's like, kind of all, right. all in that category. Yeah, when you think of how big this state is and where you need it, you're like, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Texter's talking about, just, you know, the story's about gambling, and there is something. I wonder if it's because you seem like a fuddy-duddy if you're against gambling. Hmm. Because it's so... I don't know. We all make our NCAA pool yeah. bets. We gambling is sort of like a eh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing in America. Yeah. But one of our texters said, "I struggle at times with poll tabs a lot." And I said, "You know, not everyone has this problem. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you don't know you have the problem, right, until you have it, right." I'm like, "Huh?" And obviously, we allow all sorts of things under the law that could go wrong and we trust people to make decisions but it is interesting to me that over the last two years there's been so much talk about legalizing something two things that we all know is you know not a positive it's maybe not a negative but is it I just think it's interesting. It's a funny phase we're in, right? It is a different phase. I do think in both of those areas, though, it comes down to personal responsibility, right? Yeah, for sure. Just like alcohol and just like potato chips and other things. But when you're saying yes to something that previously was no, Mm -hmm. there is that period of like, hmm, like is this, what are are we tacitly encouraging? I I just... I personally think that Minnesota has been the state of no (laughs) for so many things for so many years. And times have changed, and we have to evolve with those times. Yeah. You may be right. You may be right. Uh, One of the things we're seeing an evolution on is, I think, uh, incredibly dumb. Have you been following this controversy over the uh, traffic management signs not really i was still on vacation when that was starting and i haven't really gotten into it so we've all seen these signs right like you're driving along the highway they have these digital signs up there mm-hmm. and mindot has had some uh some creative ones i found this list of 
MnDOT's top 20 okay. creative signs. And the feds, by the way, have said, we're done with the funny signs. Like, they of don't course. like the funny signs. My issue is not that, like, oh, golly gee, these road signs are going to distract someone. Like, I guess I, I'm not that concerned about that. Mm-hmm. My my, why why do we need Mindot to be funny on the road signs? What does this do? Does anyone see this? And they're like, "Oh, that's hilarious! I better buckle my seatbelt." Like, absolutely no. not. So why do they need to be funny? Well, it depends on what the sign is about. I think. I mean, no, you don't joke around about seatbelts, or I guess for anything related to public safety, nothing's a joke. Uh, but maybe people pay attention a little bit more if there's a little humor or they look forward to reading the next one to see what it might say. You're not a pumpkin. Don't drive smashed. Tailgate at the game. Not on the road. Mm-hmm. Groundhog it- says it's still winter. Use caution. See, I think those are pretty good because it sticks with you. On a hot day, that's the temperature, not the speed limit. Right. Don't snap your friends. Snap your belt. <laughs> what does that mean to snap your like friends? Like Snapchat. Like a snap. Okay, yeah. So this, this, you know what that says to me, Laura? The This is funny to like a 26-year-old dork working at MnDOT <laughs> who writes the thing. It's not even that funny. And like why are, and, and Minnesota is like taking a stand. MnDOT has said that they don't follow the federal standards for this thing anyway. Okay. So Minnesota is telling the Federal Highway Transportation Authorities to pound sand, <laughs> that they don't care. And I, I just look at this and I'm like, well, I, I guess I don't really care one way or the other. Yeah. But could we leave the jokes to me? Well, right? like, let's, you might have to apply for that job. Let's leave the funny yeah, well, to the people who are really funny. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is all that autocorrect does not work on crashes. Mm. Don, we now are fastened seatbelt. Fa la 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 la. <laughs> like on fishing opener, opener, hook, line, and blinker. This is none of this is funny. No, it's corny though, and it's memorable. <laughs> but does it do anything? It why might. do we? Why it might? It might make people think twice. It might. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> How often do you really pay attention to the serious signs well, I and am, take them? I am busy texting and driving. Well, I don't no, have time you to better read. not be doing and that. Speeding, I'm busy speeding. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny that the, the federal the federal highway administration wants traffic safety mes- messages to be simple, direct. Could we just leave it blank and only put something up when there's like a crash just or a traffic don't alert? Don't be an idiot. Why? <laughs> why does it need? I just don't understand why. Why? Like, who does it serve that MnDOT is is funny? I think I kind of like it, Jason. I do. Yeah. I think it makes people think about whatever the sign is meaning to say. You know, it makes you pay attention and maybe think twice. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was speeding right there. Maybe I better slow down. Or, you know, it, it, you're more apt to read it and have it stick yeah. in your mind if it's goofy are are we? Do we know that or do we no, just think it? I think it. Well, that's my Everyone opinion. agrees with you. Laura, I love the puns. Puns? We, what did I say that was punny? Did I have a no, pun? No, no, no. They love the oh, puns, the, not the, the signs. Thing. Yes. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Jason, that Laura is smart. You should listen to her. Marty See? in Minneapolis. Thank you very much. Yes. Did you text that in? I did not. Okay. I have no phone. <laughs> the funny MnDOT signs get people to remember safe behavior. Yes, that's my point. Ninety-four percent of Minnesotans are wearing their seatbelt. Ninety-four percent. Do you think? I think that's the latest. I may be making that up. <laughs> You know, a good producer would be Googling this and fact-checking it right now. <laughs> Cook, what's the percentage of Minnesotans who wear seatbelts? I don't know. 94%, he said. I think it is relatively high. It's I, very I, high. Yeah. Okay. So do we think that, like, the funny sign is going to touch people who aren't wearing a seatbelt? I ju- I ju- I'm just it might. You just never know. So why not what try it, some creative yeah. options? There's nothing wrong with it. Laura is right. No fun, Jason. Jason, <laughs> please relax. It's not all about you. Jason, you're getting lighten wound up. up. You are getting lighten wound up. up, man. I'm not that wound up. It's fine. They get attention and are memorable. See? Yes, that's what I think. I believe they get attention with nerds who are already following all the rules. Who likes puns? Who is the number I like one? Puns. I love puns. I love puns. Number one group. There, I said it. Nerds? I kind of, I'm a little bit nerdy. It's okay to be that. It's okay to be that way. But you're already following all the highway rules. That's my point. That the people who are inclined to like these signs are already doing everything right. (laughs) Because that's the sense of humor (laughs) of the people who like this kind of nonsense. We need more nonsense in the world. And if it helps improve our public safety, why not? Laura is right. Man, the number of texts that... Laura, I'm going to print this off and, and give this to you to hang in your office. Laura's right. Laura is right. 90% Excelente. of these... Excellent. Laura knows best. Very nice. Jason, you're turning into an old... <laughs> fogey? Fogey, yeah. Old fogey. Yeah. 92.7% wear their seatbelt, according to a texter. That's pretty At least good. somebody's like doing some work on this show, Cook. Somebody looked it up. Laura, uh, I feel like this was time very well spent for you. It sure was. Thank you for having me. Because <laughs> everybody says Laura <laughs> is right. 519, we got the D-Rush Hour news headlines coming up in a minute. And please, if you're in your car, buckle up. Don't chuckle up. Follow the speed limit. Don't be a... D-Rush Hour, I don't know. All right, I'll try to calm down. I'm not, do I sound that worked up? I'm not that worked up. We got lots coming up, including a St. Paul institution that's closing down and a local couple on House Hunters, that and more, in the very speed limit observing rule of the road following drive time with Duresha. Man, you guys love those funny... MnDOT signs. I'm going to have to re-craft the way I talk about everything and do it in the style of a lame pun that a clever 26-year-old oh, oh, wrote. Oh, please don't. I'm thinking about it. All right. Don't de-rush down the road. Slow down, because here come the de-rush hour news headlines. Famous for its walleye. A Grand Avenue, St. Paul Institution, announced it is closing this spring. Okay. 
Oh. Tavern on Grand is closing. Why? Well, Star Tribune reports a multitude of reasons that will all be grabbed by individuals trying to make their point about whatever it is they're trying to make their point about. The end of a lease is part of it. A slowdown in business since COVID. Price increases in food. A dip in foot traffic on Grand Avenue. And then there's a personal aspect, too. 35 years. The legend of Tavern on Grand is that they got a walleye dinner to Mikhail Gorbachev when he was visiting Minnesota. Tavern serves 15 tons of walleye a year. They claim to sell more than any restaurant in the world. Used to be Minnesota, a walleye, came from Red Lake. You know, Minnesota banned commercial walleye fishing, so most of our walleye now comes from Canada. Kind of a bummer for Grand Avenue. Hard to tell if we're just seeing a transition happening on Grand Avenue or if this is a sign of a bigger problem. But a bunch of national retailers have left. Anthropology, Pottery Barn, Salute, the restaurant, just left as well. And obviously, when you have vacant storefronts, you have fewer pedestrians, fewer pedestrians. Then you end up with more vacant storefronts, so we don't know. The personal side of this is that 69-year-old Mary Wildmo was the heart of the tavern, according to her kids. She became ill last winter, went into hospice. Over three weeks in hospice, she tried to teach her kids everything. She died January, almost a year ago, at the age of 69. Her kids gave it a go and decided it's time. You know House Hunters, that HGTV show where people have, like, a budget of $250,000 and they're seeking a 6,000-square-foot home with a moat and an in-ground swimming pool? All right, I, lo- I, I, I do love that show. I like to see the, the husband and wife fight. That's what I like the best. A St. Paul family searching for an up-north home is going to be on House Hunters on February 5th. Does it get more Minnesotan than that? I love it. Anne and James Doherty and their kids are uh, looking around Park Rapids, Minnesota. Now, here's the thing. This show, it's totally staged. Like, the Dohertys had already bought their home, and so they're sort of recreating their search for HGTV. So two in Park Rapids, one in Longville. Does that make it worse? Like... A little, I think. Anyway, it's called Counting Cabins in Park Rapids. Piner Press reporting on it today. They initially did a story on it as well. Cool thing is it features their real-life realtor, uh, Cal Doctor. Doctor? Cal Doctor. Real estate (laughs) results in Purim. So pretty cool. Check it out. A local woman founded a, a face spa, which... By the way, Dan, you've never been to a face spa? You deserve it. Uh, it's quickly growing all over the country now. I mean, where did you find, find that sound clip? That so- I mean, that is... Is it spot on or is it spot on? I've been to Face Foundry, and I suppose I just heard everyone listening to this say, shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Knock us over with a face. <laughs> Uh, it's an amazing story. The CEO and the founder, Michelle Henry, just started this uh, 
in Edina at the Galleria in 2019. 2019. By 2026, Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Journal reporting there will be 105 locations all over the country. They just signed their largest franchise deal yet, 13 face foundries in New Jersey. They love a good facial in Hoboken, Jersey City. So all over the country, pretty cool stuff. Rapid uh, expansion mostly happened organically. They said they didn't hire like a franchise broker to help it spread. It's just been clients or friends of clients. Their eighth will open in the Twin Cities soon in Blaine. And finally, this story, which I think is so fun. Surly Brewing launching two beers in the tap room. And you have to pick which side you're on. Are you on Travis or Taylor's? Jess Fleming and the Pioneer Press reporting. Kind of the nerdy story behind the beer is fun if you're into chemistry and farming. The beers, both created with the same hops, but two different yeast strains. So they take this hops that is so new it doesn't have a name. Just 16660 is what it's called. And it's got a high thiels, thiels potential. So these are things, and you know when you have a beer and it really is aromatic, it really smells like tropical fruit, but it's the process with the yeast that sort of unlocks it. So uh, Ben Smith, the head brewer at Surly, was like, it'd be kind of fun to make two beers with this new hop and just see what happens. So they decided, the marketing team, of course, brilliant, is like, what if we do like a Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing? So... The same batch of beer spit into, split into two, no spitting, and the different yeast applied to each half. I got to check that out over at the Surly Tap Room. I will report back. I will pick Taylor, obviously. Obviously. I'm on Team T-Swift. No question about it. 5.30, that's the D-Rush Hour News headlines. We'll do traffic and weather, and next we're going to talk about the new oh, new social studies standards. This has been so political trying to teach history and trying to figure out what curriculum makes sense in American history in this political climate, good luck. We're going to talk to a high school teacher in just a minute about these new social studies standards. They'll be affecting every parent in this state. We'll talk about it next on CCO. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. Every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Man, when I was a kid, social studies was absolutely my favorite subject in school. Not a shocker, I ended up becoming a political science major and also not a shocker that I... Now, spend every day giving, according to the text line, very inaccurate takes on the state of our government and our society. I loved learning about America's history. I grew up in suburban Chicago. We didn't learn anything about Illinois' history. It is fascinating to me how much my kids learn about the history of Minnesota. And the Native American history of this state. And I think it's pretty cool that they get a better lesson and a more complete look at how our state and our country came to be. Over the last couple of years, there's been a process underway where 
some concerned people and, in my view, some bad actors who are trying to make political points uh, have been sort of working it out, trying to figure out what what should our state require? What should the standards be for social studies curricula? We just this week had a ruling by a judge that said the Department of Education can include an ethnic studies component in their social studies standards. Uh, Now, should they? That's a different issue, but they ruled they could. We wanted to talk uh, to a teacher. P.J. Wiggin is the president of the Minnesota Council for Social Studies, and he joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. P.J., thank you so much for spending some time uh, with us. I know you you teach at uh, Forest Lake Area High School, right? That's correct. And thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you can share some insight because this subject, and, you know, as a social studies teacher yourself, you're not surprised how political this conversation has become, are you? No, not in the least. When the English language arts standards went through the year before the social studies review, which we're actually almost four years out from the beginning of this process, um, these were meant to go into effect much sooner than this, but COVID played a role and then just the the backlash and uh, what I would say are some missteps by the Department of Education really put this process back behind where it should have been. But when the English language art standards went through with very similar edits, there was one public comment. <laughs> and on the first on the first draft, the first draft of the social studies standards got 6,000. Wow. And wh- why, do, why do you think, why do you think that is? Is it there? Uh, it, well, just go ahead. What, what do you think that's about? People care a lot about history. We know this, right? Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Social studies was my favorite. It's no surprise that I, and also as a political science major, uh, eventually ended up in education where I get to talk social studies all day, every day. I don't want to brag. Um, I was the student of the year as a senior in the, the social studies department. So that's this literally is the only time I ever get to uh, that anyone would give a crap about that. So there you go. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, that, that's you, about you all were, that deserves. Sure deserved. <laughs> that is literally all it deserves. A dismissive congratulations for sure. We are uh, talking with PJ Wiggin, the president of the Minnesota Council for Social Studies. He's a social studies teacher. We're talking about the new standards here. And the, the key uh, uh, issue has been this ethnic studies standard. Well, I shouldn't say that's a key issue because almost everything has been an issue here as to, how, you know, what the standards should be. What should be included? And I I think you understand, we all understand why people care about it. Uh, This ethnic studies standard from the judge's ruling, where the judge said, like, look, what the Department of Education wrote here is pretty much impossible to implement because there is a requirement for teachers to apply lessons from the past in order to eliminate historical and contemporary injustices, which is, my gosh, I can't imagine. That's a... That's a lot for you to do in a in a forty eight minute class, right? Well, yeah, and and as much as I would like to be able to eliminate historical injustices, 
I'm pretty sure that's beyond the bounds of anything within my ability. So that was definitely poorly worded. Um, And I think that there are people already reaching out to the Department of Ed. Judge Lipman, in his decision, offered multiple possible remedies for the language. Um, But I know there are others who are a part of the Social Studies Standards Committee that put the original draft together that are reaching out to the Department of Ed as well with suggestions for ways that they could make that achievable. What What is your thought as far as like having an ethnic studies type component? When you think about your curriculum and the different kind of the different classes you teach, is this already a part of what you're teaching? Is this you know, if the governor implements and accepts these new standards, will this uh, fundamentally change what you're doing in the classroom? Not what I'm doing, but I think that in some classrooms, in some parts of the state, that this will be a big shift. Um, the focus on, like, in the, the history standards, um, it talks about, analyze dominant and non-dominant narratives about the past. We've never seen something like that in Minnesota's standards, mm. right? Recognition yeah. of, you know, the the dominant white perspective versus the um, perspective of people of color, right. um, those type of issues. We've never seen that spelled out as explicitly as it is in the new anchor standards. And certainly not with a separate set of ethnic study standards. There have always been um, benchmarks that dealt with the experiences of non-white and native peoples um, um, as they've gone through their time in Minnesota or in the United States or globally. But we've never seen it spelled out this specifically. Yeah. PJ, I mean, things have changed so much. Uh, from sort of the way our generation was taught history is, is your sense that, I mean, you've been there through it, right? Like the, the, I got one narrative. Like I didn't get the fact that like, well, you know, they're, they're the losing side of whatever argument or battle, like they mattered too. And maybe they were right. Like this, it just wasn't the way we looked at history when I was, a, when I was a kid. No, it was not the way at all. I'm, I just turned 46, and yeah. it was very much the the winner writes the story, and we were consistently winners, and so that was how it was always portrayed uh, for me. And there was definitely more of a focus. I used to take you know, history unit tests that were 50, 75 questions long, you know, multiple choice or fill in and fill in the blank. Like yeah. you remember these dates, you remember these events. Yeah. And, and now there's just been this big shift away from, can you regurgitate this knowledge on a multiple choice test to, can you actually study and identify root causes by looking at uh, primary source documents, right? Like yeah. when Nikki Haley a couple of weeks ago got in so much trouble for, not immediately saying that the cause of the civil war was slavery, right? Like all you have to do is show students the secession documents or the Confederate constitution where the literal only 
difference between the U.S. Constitution and the Confederate States of America Constitution was that slavery was forever to be allowed. Hmm. Like, if you show students that, they don't need to know the date of the Civil War. They can understand why it happened. P.J. Wiggin is a social studies teacher. He's the president of the Minnesota Council for Social Studies. P.J., I think some parents, myself included, worry that as we have done the right thing and a good thing, which is expanding the perspectives and understanding the complicated messiness that is history, that we go too far and almost villainize the the winner, right? It used to be the winner wrote history, and that was that. And I think there is some concern is just like people who don't like change and don't, you know, don't like this. But I do think there is some legitimate concern of are we going too far in sort of making uh, making it like you have to apologize for being on the winning side of history. How, how do you sort of explain that? My response to that is I grew up with the heroification of America and of American political figures. I didn't learn a lot of the, the darker history that does exist and is out there and is worth recognizing. And now knowing that dark history does not make me want to join the Soviet Union. Right. It <laughs> right. makes me right. right. It makes me want to tell students like, here's what we did well. Here's what we didn't do well. Here's how you avoid that in the future. We can see the results of this when we ignore it. It just keeps coming back up again and again and again. We pretend it's gone. We pretend it didn't happen. And then people learn that it happened. And then they get upset that they didn't learn. it. I would rather students have opportunities to learn the whole story and then decide that this is still an amazing country that's worth continuing to move towards our ideals. Yeah, I like that. Very good answer. PJ Wigan, I think uh, the kids in Forest Lake are in good hands. I appreciate you spending some time explaining some of this to us. Thank you. Thanks, PJ. 549 traffic and weather coming up here on CCO. So I understand we're in a climate where you got to be firing up the hot takes all the time. You got to keep your cable news grift, your uh, Twitter audience, your newsletter subscriptions fired up. So it's hot take a palooza. And the hot take of this NFL football team has been we are sick of Taylor Swift. We're sick of her. Taylor Swift. She's ruining the game. She's ruining the could not. Couldn't I just watch this football game? Why they have to keep showing Taylor Swift? It is the weirdest and the dumbest take I think I've heard football related. Really, really is. It, it's crazy. You responded today seeing a Fox News weekend host. Yeah. And this dude said what? Basically said uh, that if he wanted to look at an attractive woman, he, that's what the cheerleaders are for. Hot chicks, yeah. right? Yeah. Bow, bow, bow. I'm a genius. I'm saying stupid stuff on Fox News. Send the check. Absolute ridiculous. It's, it's, I mean, it it was said in. She's not even that hot. Something. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. But that's not why they're not showing her because she's gorgeous. They're showing her because she's the biggest star on the planet. 
And guess what? If you're a rube that loves watching football all the time, they've got you already. That's not why yeah. they're showing her. They're showing her because all these Swifties are watching NFL games and their ratings go up. And it's up. fun. It's fun. Here's a young woman who seems to be in love and happy. And if this threatens you, get a freaking life. It's a game. You're mad at the game? Henry's next. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.